you uh, for coming and attending CET. In Ezekiel chapter 3, we'll just, just start reading from verse 4. And he said unto me, Son of man. You know what he means there, son of man? Son of dust. Son of dust. That's all we are. Son of man, go. Get thee unto the house of Israel. And speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of an hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears, and go get thee unto them of the captivity, unto the children of my people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from this place. We know the Lord will bless to us the reading of his word in public. Let's just bow again in a word of prayer. Father, we ask you now to please take your own word. And Lord, will you do with it as you will and as you seem and deem it fit. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would cover this people, cover this assembly, cover this meeting in the precious blood. And may your spirit have free course in our midst to speak as he pleases. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. I want to entitle this, A Watchman Unto the Nation. A Watchman Unto the Nation. Ezekiel is with the captives of the house of Judah. That's the southern Israelite kingdom. The northern Israelite kingdom have been taken captive into Assyria further north, 120 or 50 or so years previously. And they were taken captive because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of the things that they had allowed in their nation. They turned away from God. They didn't want the Lord in the land. And that which they did give them, even the very altars, were starting to break down. The house of Israel went captive, and then the house of Judah and Jerusalem then went captive. And now Ezekiel, he's taken away in what's known as the second captivity of three captivities of Judah. The first captivity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others went to Babylon, taken away by the enemy. Then later, the second captivity, the armies of of Babylon came back and took the likes of Ezekiel and others with them from the temple in Jerusalem. 
And then they come again for the third captivity. And this is when you read of the, of the Hosea, and that's not the prophet, but Hosea, the, 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 if you want, the makeshift king and priest in the, and the priest in, in the temple there before uh, a lot of it was destroyed. It was Ezekiel's time in his captivity that they had taken all the instruments out of the temple that they couldn't worship the Lord. And of course, we read in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar's feet, they faced, they decided to use those instruments in their lasciviousness parties where they would uh, worship their own gods and heathens. Judah or Israel Judah, the Jews now are in Babylon. And Ezekiel is by the river, what we would call Chebar or Kibar. Uh, the actual Hebrew word for it is Kevar. And so Ezekiel at the river Kevar, it means far off. Notice the river's name means far off or far away. And of course he was far off, far off from the temple in Jerusalem, far off from the city of Jerusalem, far off from the land far off from their home. And now he's far off and he's in captivity with the rest of them at this river. Notice if you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, please. In the very first verse, there's something special to kick this off with tonight for you to see. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Isn't that amazing? Three numbers are mentioned here. I think we need to look at for it's very important. There's the number 30, the 30th year. There's the number four. It was the fourth month. And the number five, it was the fifth day. So you have 30, four, and five. I want to tell you something, friend. See the day a man and a woman comes in contact and across with the Lord Jesus Christ and the glories of Christ and his cross, you can be assured it leaves an imprint in your heart, your soul, and your mind that you'll never forget. The day that I met Christ is a day that changed my life. The day that I saw by faith the Lord Jesus Christ and him bleeding and dying for me on the cross of Calvary changed my life forever. And it's not that I, it's not that I uh, can be different. I cannot help it but walk as he has ordained me to walk. Christ changes lives. Christ changes hearts. Christ changes desires. And Christ can change you tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ can change you this very evening. Here, Ezekiel says, it was a 30th year the fourth month, the fifth day, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Oh God, would you open the heavens and show us visions again, fresh vision of the Lord. See, that's what's wrong with a lot of the church world today. This is why I didn't want to bring this. I didn't want to preach it because we're not perfect and I'm not a perfect man. But one thing I know is what God has told me to do, I got to do. And when God gives me his word, i got to bring it. And that is what is wrong with many people in church lives. They've lost the vision of who Christ is. And they have him as some 
mamby pamby little scapegoat over here to run to every now and then or, or some effeminate picture on a wall. Listen, he is the son of the living God. He is the one who shed his precious blood and died for us. And listen, he's the one who was raised from the dead. He says, behold, I am alive forevermore. I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. How is he in the world? He's in my heart. He's in the believer's heart. He's in our minds. He's in our families. He should be in our homes. And that's what the problem is. We need watchmen under the nation. We need men who are Christian, men who are born again, to be the priest of their home and of their family. We need them to stand up. We need them to speak out and live right for Christ. Unfortunately, today, we're finding that men and women are losing their vision of Christ. Losing their vision of Christ. Notice these three numbers. Number 30, the 30th year. Now, the number 30 in Scripture speaks of dedication to a particular task or calling. I'll say it again. The number 30 symbolizes dedication to a particular task or calling. For example, in Numbers chapter 4, when Aaron and the Levitical priests who were to work in the tabernacle and then down through the years, that uh, Levitical priestly line, they had to be set apart and anointed with oil at 30 years of age. At 30 years of age. Okay, So 30 is your call to a particular task or calling. For example, John the Baptist, his mother Elizabeth was from a Levitical line, and his father Zacharias was also a priest in the temple. And of course, when he was born, he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And notice what it says in Luke 3 and verses 1 and 2. It speaks of, I'll not read it, I'll paraphrase it, speaks of Tiberius Caesar, who is uh, uh, the Caesar in Rome. It speaks of Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. It speaks of Philip and Herod and Licinius, the tetrarchs of around that area. And it also speaks of Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the, the high priests who were, who were to labor and were in charge of the temple worship. And then it also says of these men that they're all in Jerusalem. It says, but the word of God came to John in the wilderness. God overlooked every single one of them in authority. And God says, I'm coming to the man. He was at 30 years of age. And now I'm going to call him out. I'm going to call him to stand as a watchman under the house of Judah. I'm going to make him the one who cries, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. He was the forerunner of the Son of God. And so at 30 years of age, it happened. 30 years of age, the Lord Jesus comes down the banks of the River Jordan, being six months younger than John. And the heavens are opened, and the voice comes, and the Spirit descends in the form of a dove resting upon him. And it says, the voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 30 years of age, the Lord Jesus then is sent forth in his ministry in Judea. Of course, we think of 30, we think of blood also. The Lord Jesus was uh, sold over by devilish hands into wicked hands and devilish hands by Judas Iscariot to the high priest in the temple. And of course, it was for 30 pieces of silver. And I love about that. It was one year for every, every year the Lord lived right up until he was called at the River Jordan, the Son of God with power. 
That tells me silver speaks of redemption in scripture. It tells me that he lived a perfect life and redeemed me that every year of my life is redeemed because he shed his blood for me. He shed his blood for you. And so we are redeemed through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's 30. Here, Ezekiel, it's the 30th year. It could be the 30th year. People say, is it the 30th year of captivity? Is it the 30th year of Ezekiel's life? But rather, it's the 30th year of captivity, I would say. Notice this also. In the fourth month, the number four, secondly. The fourth month in the Hebrew calendar is the month Tammuz. Tammuz. And it, it rests around our June, July time. And it's the fourth month in the Jewish Hebrew calendar. Notice in the Ennis area where the house of Israel had gone. And in Babylon where the house of Judah now find themselves captive. They're in captivity over 150 years now coming up maybe close to 30, 40, 50 years. We're not sure what these 30 years are, but they're in captivity. Now, notice this. This is important. The calendar of Assyria and Babylon, the, 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 the word Tammuz and the month for Tammuz is the name Ara Dumuzu. And Tammuz and Dumuzu were the same in Babylon. Now, Ezekiel is in Babylon. And they're the same in Babylon. And so what happens was, way back in the days of Nimrod, you read it in the book of Genesis, when they built the Tower of Babel and so on. Nimrod has a wife called Semiramis. And Semiramis uh, becomes known later as the Queen of Heaven. And Nimrod dies, and, the, and Semiramis says, look, Nimrod is the sun in the sky. And so because he's the sun in the sky, she has a baby then and says it is Nimrod incarnate that he is the little boy Tammuz who walks through the fire, the fire of coals. And this is where this comes from in Babylon. This is very important because Ezekiel in this fourth month is showing something. Tammuz was also known as a little shepherd boy. And the idea of it was a shepherd boy in their mythology he was, uh, he was killed by a wild boar. And so the idea was that there's death. And in the dry heat of the summer, that time of the fourth month in Babylon, the Middle East, everything was burnt and dried and hard. And it was, look, Tammuz has died. We must remember Tammuz. And so they started to weep and they started to mourn Tammuz. His other name was Dumuzu, as they called him in the Babylonian language. And stay with me. The idea of this was that Ezekiel has said, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord shows him that Judah and the Jews were actually worshipping Tammuz and not the living God. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 8, please. Ezekiel chapter 8. And as your eye, please run down. Just lift a couple of verses for time's sake. The verse 13. And he said, that was the Lord said unto Ezekiel. And he said unto me, turn thee yet again. And thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. 
Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz in the temple even. Here they were meant to be God's people and now they're so enriched with the Babylonian system. They're weeping for Tammuz. The idea is when the winter, when the summer had gone and the rains would come and the crops would start to grow, they said, Tammuz has resurrected from the dead. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the Lord says, you see, this is the devil trying to copy that which he knows is coming. You see, Satan can transform himself into an, uh, an angel of light. You know that? And today, in the church world, we're seeing many angels of light. And many things that they look good, they may even sound good, but when we delve into them, there's no depth and there's no word. There's nothing publicly based. There's nothing publicly based. We need watchmen who will stand up in the churches and say, we need to cry on to the Lord about this and against these things. And the ecumenism that comes in, like, like the Jews or Judah did in Babylon, the ecumenism, they were weeping for Tammuz and the Lord said, I will show you, Ezekiel, another thing to cry about, the abomination of this people who say they're mine and who say they're worshipping me. He says, they're not mine. They're worshipping Tammuz. Now listen. Luke chapter 23, please. This carries right through into the New Testament. Maybe these people that we're about to read were very genuine, I don't know. And maybe they thought they were being genuine, I don't know. But nevertheless, notice what happens in Luke 23 and verse 27. And there followed with him, this is the Lord Jesus, they've gone down the Via Dolorosa carrying his cross to Calvary, to Golgotha. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. You know what he was saying? <coughs> You're just so used to weeping for the Babylonian Tammuz. See, the Talmudic system was in it then. He says, Don't you weep for me because judgment's coming. That's what he's saying. You don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children. You know what we need? We need to stop people saying everything's rosy in the garden. Live how you like. Do what you want. Accept every sin into the church and everything that's going. And we'll all just live together. We'll waft the heaven in a handbasket when they're all going to hell in a handcart. Jesus says, don't you weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children. Judgment's coming. My friend, I want to tell you, judgment's coming. I'm not popular, sure I'm not. I'm not popular. But judgment's coming. I want to be a watchman unto the house of Israel. I want to be a watchman unto our nation. I want to be a watchman in the church and cry against a lot of things. I'm not perfect. 
I'm not perfect. I'm not pretending to be. But God gave me, and I told you last week, God told me to speak this. And I said, I don't want to, Lord. Give it to somebody else. I'm always getting into trouble. Give it to somebody else, please. But judgment is coming. And people would rather sit and tell others, you know what? It's all about the love. Now let me tell you something. I love Jesus. But he first loved me. And I'm assured of his love. And I know his love. And I rest in his love. This isn't about his love. It's about people needing to get right with God. I believe judgment must first begin in the house of the Lord. We can sing. And we can dance. And I'm all for that. But once the word comes out. I was at a, I'll put it in brackets, I was at a Bible conference a few years ago. A Bible <laughs> conference. And the main Bible speaker got up and pulls out a phone. He says, this is my Bible. If you have a Bible, you might have a different one than me. Let's turn to our Bibles. And he didn't even, he read a, some spurious, some spurious version of the word of God that I didn't even recognize as the word. Didn't even, didn't even recognize it. Not saying if you're on a phone you're a bad person, by the way. But what I'm saying is, he said that he had his version. You can read your version. And you know what? At the end of it, nobody knew what version was what and everybody sat with their arms folded in a Bible conference. Let's get back to the word. Let's get back to the word. Notice this. Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. He even distinguishes the daughters of Jerusalem from the daughters of Galilee. You know why? Because the Galileans were repentant. The Galileans had actually repented. So the number four here is the fourth month of Tammuz. And it was the second day of the fourth month month that they mourned Tammuz. The second day of the fourth month, they mourned Gamuzu. And four is the number of creation in the scriptures. How fallen has creation, man is the head, the federal head of creation. How far has creation fallen? You look even what you're seeing in the news or online. How barbaric can somebody be to someone else? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. I don't care what color your skin is. How barbaric are other people to other people? Barbarism everywhere. Hatred everywhere. And how fallen is man that he'll do anything for greed? Here's a wee tidbit. I'll maybe preach on it some other time, but I'm really not doing it tonight. Who's heard of Venezuela at the minute, the way it's going with the voting and all? People are going, oh, isn't that great? There's an uprising in Venezuela. They were America's enemies. Listen, who do you think's starting it? The one-worlders. You know why? They found all their oil. Anyway, that's another part. But barbarism. Demonic possession among them. And all of these who are in 
our meds. We must be, as it were, church. It's not just about the preacher. It's about you and it's about me. It's about every Christian. It's time that we said enough is enough and we become watchmen unto the house of Israel, as it were, unto our nation. No matter what nation the people are in who will watch this on down the line, it's time that we stood up and be counted and said, we know what you're at, one worlder. We know you've had us in captivity too long one worlders of a European Union. We know that you're trying to keep hold of us, to drain us. We know that you're trying to rob us of our God and to weep for your Tammuz, the mother queen of heaven. We know, and her son, the baby. We know that you're looking for us to worship your son, God, Nimrod, even though you're saying it's all about get-togetherness. We know you're building a one-word government. We know it's another Torah Babel. We know, we know, and we're saying no to it. We're standing against it. Church, come on. We're not blinded. Church, you're not blinded, are you? The number four, how far creation has fallen. The third one is number five. It was on the fifth day. Number five is the number of grace. Praise the Lord. Praise God. That in a world that we live in, like Ezekiel's day, grace finds him. Notice he didn't find grace. Do you know that? He's a captive. He's in darkness. They're weeping for Tammuz. They're far away at the river Kevar or Kibar. And God's grace finds him. Thank the Lord in the deepest, darkest secrets of our hearts. And thank the Lord when we were in our deepest, darkest moments, in the worst places anyone could ever find us, in the darkest of states that we were in, and in all of our sin and depravity, grace found us. Uh, and grace called us unto Christ. Oh, glorious gospel, isn't it? With all the false idolatrous religious practice and the darkness of demonic activity and the blinding of their eyes, we're told that that the Lord opened heaven and showed him visions of God. The number five here, just briefly, as we look at it, so it was the second day of the fourth month, mourning for Damuzu. Three days later is when Ezekiel has his vision. Now, the number three means strength and power or depth to witness. For example, this table in front of me, its length by breadth would be its surface area. And it's the mouth of two or three witnesses. May let every word be established. So here's your surface area, length by breadth, but by height or depth, if you want, puts on the added dimension, gives us that 3D. It brings, it means that it gives more clout to the vision you're having. They're weeping for Tammuz. They're getting up to no good. Those who say they're God's people aren't living right, and they're living in idolatrous practices, Ezekiel. You're captured by the enemy. You're far away from where you used to worship. You're far away from the temple. You're far away from God. You're sitting by a river, and you think, I don't know where you are. And God steps out on the third day in grace, and he says, I'm going to show you visions of me. It's not powerful. Powerful. 
what an assurance for Ezekiel, he says, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. I was walking the dog yesterday. I was just talking to the Lord on the way up and the big dog's just sniffing about, you know. says, Lord, I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. Ezekiel said, I saw visions of God. My heart starts to rejoice. I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. I says, Lord, what was that like? What does that mean? What is it for us today? I saw visions of God. It's like the Lord just dropped right into me. And he says, son, you have seen visions of me dying for you. Dying for you. Oh, glory. Glory, hallelujah. May God open heavens for us. And may we, church, see visions of God afresh. Let's start at the cross of Calvary. Let us go back to Golgotha's hell. Let us go and see the precious blood of the Lamb. And then let us follow on to know the Lord, that he would show us visions, that he would lead us on. Notice, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Here's what I've written. This is one of the compensations accompanying the rejection of a believer in Christ. I'm going to say it again. When Ezekiel says, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God, this is what I've written. This is one of the compensations accompanying the rejection of a believer in Christ. Now listen, friend, brother, sister, you need to be a watchman, a watch person, a watch woman. Whenever you, you want to make a politically correct, say something, and you want to be a watch person. You need in your family to be a watchman. You need in your family to be a watchwoman. You need in your home and in your workplace to tell people the truth because, you see, it's no use buttering them up. You know, well-buttered up people with their ears tickled will burn well in hell. Do you hear that? Buttered up people will burn well in hell. But born-again believers will burn bright as the stars of glory. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be concerned. Look, I know, I must admit, a lot of the messages and emails I get are, are, are encouraging. But you get some that say, you shouldn't preach like that. You shouldn't preach like that. Well, I'm going to tell you something, friend. I'm going to keep preaching like this. And I'm going to keep it on doing it until the Lord tells me to stop it. I think of old poor Stephen being stoned, the first martyr in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7. Listen to what it says in verse 55 and verse 56. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Notice Stephen being stoned. Oh, hallelujah. Come and get the blessing of the Holy Ghost, and I believe in it. And I've received it. But come and get the blessing of the Holy Ghost and you're going to walk with no problems in your life. Come on, get the blessing. That's a lie. You get the blessing of the Holy Ghost and the devil hates you. And everybody else rises up against you. 
Why? Because they see the Holy Ghost in you. No, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost in every blood-washed believer, baptized with fire from heaven. But the Holy Ghost in power. There's too many dead hearts. I know people and they can cross T's and dot I's. And listen, I can have a theological argument with the best of them. And they can cross T's and dot I's. And, and you know their hearts are as hard as that there. And their necks are as stiff as brass. There's no joy in their life. There's no passion in their heart. But all they know is the T and the dot. It's time to get baptized in love. It's time to ask the Lord to baptize you with the Holy Ghost Church. Time to ask the Lord to fill you with the Spirit of God. When you go to work, drive to work, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me in your Holy Ghost. Lord, as I drive in to this people, as I go in before this doctor, as I go in before this hospital appointment, or if I, wherever you go, I'm going to meet the bank manager. It doesn't matter where you go. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You say, baptize me in the Spirit of the Lord. I'm going to witness tonight, Lord. I'm going to speak to someone. Fill me with the Spirit. Anoint me with fresh oil. We need life from power from on high. Stephen being stoned. I won't fit in with some theology in the 21st century. Sure it wouldn't. Stephen's being stoned and he's full of the Holy Ghost. He's full of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost will surround you that nothing ever happens to you. Yeah, well, you want to tell 50 million martyrs that were murdered at the hands of Rome? The many that are damned for their faith today. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is this. God coming inside a man and living inside of him and a woman and equipping them for the task that lies ahead. Hey, mind you, I'm a Pentecostal. And I operate, and I, it's been manifest in me and through me, the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not saying against the gifts. But sometimes our head's in the clouds. Our feet aren't on terra firma. And you know what? We're floating around like some sort of balloon. He being full of the Holy Ghost, listen, looks steadfastly to heaven. Now, you mark this in your Bible. First thing the Holy Ghost does, if you're saying you're full of the Holy Ghost, I know people say, and I've said it too, I suppose, but people say, oh, it's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Listen, the first thing the Holy Ghost does, he doesn't tell you about himself, he talks about the Lord Jesus. He shows you Christ. Stephen being stoned, full of the Holy Ghost, looks steadfastly to heaven. And you know what he's seen? He's seen the Lord Jesus. He's seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Verse 56, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. You know what that means, standing on the right hand? It means I see the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, standing in the place of all power and authority. Your Savior tonight stands in the place of all power and authority. And your Savior tonight says, Ask of me. What are you asking him for? Just ask of me. An old Puritan called Thomas Brooks said this about Stephen's stoning. He said, all the stones that came about Stephen's ears did but knock him closer to Christ, the cornerstone. 
So when you're going through something, you think the Lord doesn't love me because, or maybe I'm not filled with the Spirit enough, or maybe I'm not spiritual enough, and all that sort of stuff that I hear as a pastor that people come and talk to me about, and you think I'm going through it, and, and all this teaching is out there that, you know, he mustn't love you if you're going through something, or you must be the worst and chiefest of sinners because you're, you're this, that, or the other. Listen, that's a lie. He placed his love in you in eternity, and he's never lifted it off. He's never lifted it off. We think of John in the Isle of Patmos, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We think of Paul in his prison cell in Ephesians 2 and 6. says that God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul's in a prison and he's got his eyes in heaven. So Ezekiel was far away or far off by a key bar. And the glory of the Lord in the temple of Jerusalem and from the glory of the Lord in the temple of Jerusalem. But God sought him out. And he says, I saw the visions of God. Here's what I've written. People are captives and in mourning at their loss of hope, of help, and direction, and life. They fall wildly and headlong with swiftness into despair and false security, waiting for some flower of hope to grow. And the more they try... And the longer they wait, they wait in vain. They need to hear. They need to hear the word from a prophet. From a man who will bring God to them. With the anointing of the Spirit. That heaven may be opened and they see visions of God as their only hope. Now see if a preacher is preaching anything but Christ and him crucified. Or the blood in the book. Look, I know. This morning I done it. We have to apply to the church, especially in church meetings and believers meetings to try and encourage them in the faith. But Christ, look, I don't understand. I think it's impossible. I, maybe I just haven't learned how to do it. But I feel it's impossible to preach a sermon without Christ in it. I can't see a verse without Christ in it. And many are seeking to put Christ into a whole sermon. Notice, people need God brought to them. There's a world out there and they need hope, but they have no hope. And they are looking to society. And so society is in a tailspin. And so socialism and the, the far leftists and all the, uh, all, all that Marxism that's prevalent throughout the land. See, we used to think, well, communism is just the Russians. And maybe it's a little bit of now the, the North Koreans and all this sort of socialist, communist, Marxist ideology and agenda. All of this is just all of them. But I can tell you now, it's in every, almost, it's almost in every society that you're speaking of today. And it's full of it. You know what it's doing? They're programming your children from school. They're programming your children when they're watching their cartoons. They're programming their wee minds that they'll accept everything that is acceptable. And they'll walk along and they'll just follow what everybody else is doing. And the gospel comes, here is your hope, look to Christ. He says, what a sort of a man is there. What I read this week, that in all of the United Kingdom, little old evangelical, so-called evangelical officer, it's becoming the quickest pagan region of the UK. Ulster. 
Ulster needs Jesus. Ireland needs Jesus. We all need the Lord Jesus. In verse 3 of chapter 1, it tells us Ezekiel was a priest. Ezekiel was a priest. The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. See that? You know what a priest does? A priest brings the people to God. The priest went in and went in and he brought the sacrifice and the blood. But there's no temple. There's nowhere for the priest to operate. And you see, in the new covenant, those of us who are in Christ, we're being, we are made kings on priests unto God, which means we can go directly into his presence. In the old covenant, uh, Ezekiel saying, well, Lord, what do I do? I'm a priest. I'm far away. I've no one around me. What do I do with this? I'm in captivity. And listen, they're all weeping for Tammuz, all false idol, idolatrous worship. And the people are loving it. The people love to have it so. It's in Ulster tonight. It's in Ireland tonight. It's in Britain tonight. Ezekiel says this house of Judah, this house of Israel, they love to have it so. And it's the same tonight. They love to have it so. Hopelessness for Ezekiel. But the word of God came, listen, expressly. And he was a priest. And the Lord says, Ezekiel, turn to chapter 2 and verse 5. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among you. Ezekiel, you were a priest and you've brought this people before me and they're carrying on in their ways and they're not, as it were, coming to know me. They're not turning their hearts to me. They're not turning their face to me. Yes, they're not getting saved, Ezekiel. And all of this, you're in captivity. The enemy has you. You're far away from all you know and all you love. He says, Ezekiel, you've done all you can. But now, you've brought the people to me, but now, he says, I'm making you a prophet. I want you to bring me to the people. Now, please, I don't want anybody misunderstanding me here. I believe we should be praying and praying and praying. So please don't get me wrong, but sometimes as priests unto God, we go into that throne of grace room and we pray and we pray and we pray. And you know, sometimes God says, listen, I hear every one of your prayers, but it's time for you to bring me to them. Bring me to them. We need prophets again in the land. Prophets in the church. Prophets that will speak God's word to the people. And notice here in Ezekiel 3 and 4, he says, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel and speak my words unto them. Speak my words unto them. Do you notice that? Ezekiel 3 and 4, speak my words unto them. And not words of of man's wisdom, not man's intelligence and soft soaping stories. Not textbook ideology or or ear-tickling trivia. Not politically correct poetry and pleasantries. He says, speak my word. But Lord, you know, if I say that, they're going to fall out with me. If I say that, Lord, then nobody will speak to me anymore. 
They won't hear me. He says, you bring me to them. You speak my word. I think the church has lost its belief in the authority and the power of the word of God. And you know what the church does then? They try and butter over the top of it. And they, they start to bring, there's nothing wrong with the illustration. I've used illustration. But their sermon becomes illustration. Stories about them out having a picnic with their family and all the little bunny rabbits that they counted and seen and all that sort of stuff, you know. And that's their word of God. I heard a woman a lot of years ago get up into a pulpit not far from here. And she opened up the cartoon Mr. Men book and preached from the cartoon Mr. Men book. Tickling their ears, getting them in. See, it brings them back. Church in Belfast, beer testing nights to come in to church on a Sunday night. But it brings them in. Into what? Into hell! Into what? Am I too strong? No. <laughs> 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 Burn the door. You know, I sometimes think, am I too strong? I, I, I had three phone calls from three different ministers this week. I'll not say who they were, but I met one for a while. And we sat facing each other. You know what we talked about? Oh, even denomination now and certain organizations that maybe he was in. I, I'm free from it. And I'm not against them all. Please don't get me wrong. I just wish they'd stand up and be counted. I think I went past McConnell. Went through dog's abuse in hell over a, 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 a comment about Islam. A man then in his late 70s with cancer and diabetes. And what they didn't know, he was sitting with shingles all over him in a court dock. Where was all the organizations, the Christians, that stand up? Where, were, where was the letters where they would stand out and say, listen, we're standing for gospel truth. We're protesting until this man is... There were some... But, but where was the big organizations? Where was the big... Where was, the, where was all the big denominations and the Pentecostal movements? Where were they? Their silence was deafening. You know why? Because they were afraid... They're afraid of people. Well, we wouldn't go to that church because of that. I know there were some there. I, don't, I want to be fair. But notice, we have become so watered down and politically correct. The church has lost its voice. They're afraid to bring God's word. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. This is for every Christian. John 17 and 14, praying, he says, Father, I have given them thy word. And the word, the word hath hated them because they are not of the word, even as I am not of the word. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Jesus gave the word. So Ezekiel 3, verse 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Do you know the idea of a watchman was? 
Believe it or not, this is my introduction. But we're stopping, okay? Well, we're closing. <laughs> See the word watchman? The watchman looked over the walls of the city, all right, and a field. He would have watched for danger coming or something approaching. And he would have took the ram's horn, or as it's known as a shofar, and they would have blew it. And you have different sounds that let them know the different ideas of the message to come. Or they would have shouted through the city. Danger, danger, danger. You know, they would have stood and they'd have blown and blown. And listen, here's the thing. The Lord says, I have made you like that. I have made you that you would warn the people that you would blow and sound the alarm. Listen to what he says in Hosea chapter 8 and verse 1. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. Lift it up, he says, and blow it. Listen to Isaiah 58 and 1. Cry aloud, spur not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. He didn't say, go and tell them, everything's all right and God loves you. And sure you're going to heaven anyway. He says, you tell them, God is angry with this people. And I can tell you, listen, I'm a patriot to my country and I don't make any bones about it and you know that. God is angry with Britain. God is angry with us. He is angry. I know you could go and people might say of me this evening in Hosea chapter 9, this is the prophet is a fool and the spiritual man is mad. Your man in CET, he's mad. I know. I know. But I was talking to this minister during the week. I have to meet another one next week. He's actually from Cork. And the 500 people in Cork, actual women Catholics. And he says they were tortured all their life. And they're linked with Times Square Church. In fact, one of them sits on the board in Times Square Church. And the phone me out of the blue, he says, we heard about you. I want to meet you. And I says, I'll meet you next week. I says, what for? He says, I believe from the north to the south that we could start doing something for God. It's not fantastic. And so there's another one I met. And we're talking about these things. And this is what confirmed this message. I actually hadn't got this written until after I'd left him. Right into the very first of our conversation, he just turned and he says, Brother, it's good to be able to just have a chat with you. He says, I'm just dismayed. He says, there's no watchmen anymore. <laughs> I says, God told me that I have to preach in that. And I didn't want to, but now I'm going to have to go and write it. <laughs> Ezekiel was a watchman under the house of Israel. So should every man and who climbs the steps to approach the sacred desk be. They should blow the trumpet. If you're not, brother... Stand down. If you're sleeping, waking up. And listen, say if you're dead, roll over and die. And that Sunday with the fire of God, get up. Stop trying to hold position. If you're concerned about public opinion, if you're worried about persecution, If you're afraid of pension and paycheck, 
If you're anxious over position and popularity, then you're not free to preach the word of God. You're not free to proclaim the gospel of Christ. You're not free to prophesy unto a nation. And you're not free to publish the unsearchable riches of Christ. You're not free to promote the kingdom of God if you have everything else around you. See, if you're worried about everybody else, listen, I appreciate every one of you coming. And as I said earlier, I think, well, nobody's going to turn up and you all are faithful and you turn up and you listen to me bang on every week. There was a man met me and Alison in Belfast the other day and I used to run about with him as a boy. And he come up to me and he says, well, Ken, he says, are you still boxing? I thought he says, you're still boxing. And I said, no, I'm, I says, I'm too old to do that now. And he said to me, what? He says, I said, I'm too old. Says, you are not. And Alison's looking at me, and I'm looking at Alison. He met them, I still bashing. And I says, what do you mean bashing? He's unsaved. He says, I hear you bashing. He says, Bible bashing. <laughs> <laughs> unsaved man. Online. He says, you're bashing. He knows me from way back. And yet he's still hearing the word of God. You're a Bible basher, Ken. <laughs> Let's close with this. Thank you for your attention. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. We have Israel's hardened heart. For thou art not sent unto a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but unto the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee unto them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But to the house of Israel will not, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Here's what the Lord is saying to the prophet. I'm not sending you. And listen, I'm for missionary endeavor. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm not sending you to a people in India or China or Africa. He says, you know what I'm telling you in your nation? You know what the Lord is saying to me? You know what the Lord is saying to all the preachers? Listen, I have placed you here. Preach my word! Preach it! I'm not sending you out there. I've placed you here to preach my word. If this was a people of another language, he says, if you were to go somewhere else, they would hear you. But this people, this people of Ulster, he says, this house of Israel, this people of Great Britain, this people of Ireland, he says, you preach my word unto them. The Lord don't listen. He says, I'm not sending you to other people, Ken Davidson. If you put in a pulpit and ulster, then preach the word. In Ezekiel 3 at 9, we have a hardened forehead. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks though they be a rebellious house. Listen, preacher, listen, Christian, when you're talking, you say, Lord, now, I've got quite a big forehead, I admit that. And I was saying to Rebecca the other week, I feel like a T-fall man sometimes when I look into the... Who remembers a T-fall man? A few with a big foreheads, remember, on the TV. And Rebecca went, a what? <laughs> it was the on for these boys, and they were meant to be all so intelligent, and there's a, the big foreheads, T-fall man. And when I was pastoring down in Dublin, and a wee woman used to come up to me, and she used to do that from my eyebrow with her finger, do this. <laughs> she did. 
So done on a regular occurrence. I used to say, Annette, what are you doing? She says, see in there, see in there. It's all full of brains. <laughs> she did, she did, honestly. I was like a T-farm on this big forehead. She says, I wish I had brains, but nevertheless, you're all full of brains. The Lord says, listen, they'll headbutt you, but I'll make your head harder than theirs. I'll make it tough. Too many won't be Christians. Too many Christians full of fear. Just I make your your forehead like flint. Brother, you have nothing to be afraid of. Christian, you have nothing to be afraid of. Sister, you have nothing to be afraid of. Pastor Aaron, you have nothing to be afraid of. He says, I'll make your forehead hard like flint. It's a hardened forehead. We'll not go into it because I'm closed. But in Jeremiah 3 and 3, the Lord looks at the people. You know what he calls them? And their sin, he says, look, the whore's foreheads. The whores used to take off their, used to have a little coins around their foreheads. Pardon me, the, 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 the Israel women, Israelite women. They took them off if they were, if they were harlots. And that's how he knew their foreheads when they went with other men. Because they spoke this. You know the woman who loses the silver that was around her, that was the silver around her forehead. They represented that she was a woman who was not a hearted, possibly even married. That's why she she wants to brush out to find it, so no one thinks that of her. And the Lord says, "There, my Israel is my bride and my wife, and they've got a horse forehead." When you go home, you read Ezekiel three. I I, I can't go into. It. I'm not going to do part two because. Of well, mate, and I'm just glad I got that one over tonight. You read Ezekiel 3, and the Lord says, I have made you a watchman to the house of Israel. Then he goes on later, know what he says? If you don't warn them from me, their blood is on your skirts. I'll hold you accountable. And I wonder, listen, we were at a funeral, I'll definitely finish with this. We were at a funeral. How long ago was that funeral? couple of weeks or more ago. Well, sorry, she was off. She I'm trying to remember because it was at a different one as well. I want to watch what I say. We brought a funeral. Such an opportunity. Such an opportunity. Full of unsafe people. Loads of unsafe people. And they weren't told of heaven, hell or their sin was. Young people too. That's right. You just read that. It's your not one. And yet I met a minister, that minister I spoke to, he says he was at a funeral of someone. And there's over eight hundred at it. And he says, I'm not gonna miss. I can't. I just thought and it was in it wasn't his church, let me put it that way. It, was, he was, he, it came about he was to preach at it. He wasn't meant to, and it came that he did because the minister wasn't able to make it. And he climbed up into the sacred desk and he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ to 800 people. You see, their blood won't be on his skirts. And there's many people that are climbing into pulpits 
and they're filling the pulpit full of their entertainment in place of the Holy Ghost. And they're not preaching the blood in the book. Instead, they're preaching their own wee thoughts just to ear-tickle the people. You'd be a watchman unto the nation and put the trumpet down to your mouth. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.